we go. Welcome, everyone, and, and those watching remotely. I'd like to introduce Dr. Michael Cho, who will be giving our fourth and final graduating fellow presentation today. Dr. Cho came to our program in July 2014 after doing residency at, uh, sorry, I need my glasses. <laughs> after doing residency at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey in Newark and medical school at George Washington University after getting a Master's of Science in Physiology and Biophysics at Georgetown and a Bachelor's of Science majoring in Neuroscience at Johns Hopkins. He has won several awards throughout his studies, including a Golden Apple Award nomination for teaching, Resident of the Month, Intern of the Month, a Multicultural Student Award, and an NCI Biomedical Research Training Award for work on TGF-beta inhibition in carcinogenesis. During his fellowship, he's had more hematologic leanings with superb clinical case reasoning conference, conference presentations on a case of gray zone lymphoma and an HIV-related Burkitt's lymphoma and an ongoing project on thrombin that is the topic of today's presentation. From here, Dr. Cho will be joining a Kaiser practice in West LA, returning to his home state of California. Please join me in thanking Dr. Cho for his excellent work here during his fellowship and wishing him best of luck in the future. He has no financial disclosures to report. He does not intend to discuss off-label or investigational use of a product or device, and he is not receiving any direct payments from a commercial entity with respect to this activity. Thank you, and welcome, Dr. Cho. Thank you, Dr. Chamberlain. Um, thank you, everyone, for having me. So my topic today is on thrombin generation as a predictive biomarker for venous thromboembolism in pancreas and lung cancer patients undergoing systemic therapy. So I have no disclosures. So the objectives of my study today are to first know the pathophysiology of how cancer biology increases risk for thrombosis. Second, to understand the impact of cancer-associated thrombosis on survival. Third, to recognize the value of the Corina score to predict chemotherapy-associated thrombosis. And finally, to identify thrombin generation as a novel biomarker to predict risk for cancer-associated thrombosis. So our understanding of the pathogenesis of venous thrombosis starts with Verkaus triad. This is named after Dr. Rudolf Verkau. He was a 19th, 19th century German physician scientist whose research on thrombosis led to the concept that there are three main factors that can predispose one to the formation of venous thrombosis. So the first factor is venous stasis, when you have normal blood flow that slows down or stops. The second factor is endothelial blood vessel wall injury, which leads to uh, the exposure of collagen and tissue factor on the vessel wall, um, which creates a substrate, a substrate for primary hemostasis, which then leads to secondary hemostasis, which is the basis of clot formation. And finally, hypercoagulability, which is the third part of the triad that encompasses changes in the blood coagulation pathway that shifts the balance towards coagulation. 
So this is a chart uh, that looks at some of the factors associated with each component of Verkhouse triad. So the first factor is endothelial wall damage, which can be related to really any type of trauma, um, such as surgeries or intravenous catheter insertion. Venous stasis um, from immobility, usually during an inpatient hospitalization or post-op. And hypercoagulability um, that can be either hereditary, such as from a factor V Leiden or prothrombin gene mutation. They can also be acquired from pregnancy, obesity, cancer, and also use of chemotherapy. So to understand how a thrombus is formed, we need to be familiar with the coagulation cascade, and this is a modified version of that. So once you develop vessel wall injury, um, the platelets will become activated and form a platelet plug. <clears throat> this is primary hemostasis, which then leads to secondary hemostasis, um, which is achieved through a complex system of reactions and pathways of 12 clotting factors that eventually leads to the formation of a thrombin, which is the final step before the fibrin clot is made. So this cascade is made up of two pathways, the intrinsic and the extrinsic pathway. The intrinsic pathway is turned on by activated platelets, and the extrinsic pathway is turned on by tissue factor from vessel wall damage. Both these pathways meet to activate factor 10, which is further down below, and this leads to activation of thrombin. So under normal conditions, the growth of the fibrin clot is balanced by fibrinolysis mechanisms, which limits its expansion and ultimately causes dissolution of the clot during healing of the vessel wall. But in abnormal conditions or disease conditions, such as in cancer, the clotting cascade shifts the hemostasis balance towards a more procoagulant state. So this is looking at the pathogenesis of VTE in cancer. So we know that tumor cells have the ability to turn on the coagulation cascade in um, a variety of ways. Uh, some of the primary mechanisms are, are shown here. So first we have um, tumor cell production of procoagulant proteins like tissue factor, which we know from the coagulation cascade turns on the extrinsic pathway, but the tumor cells do this in a constitutive manner. They can also release microparticle um, vesicles that produce tissue factor as well. And we know that fibrinolysis is important in managing uh, prop in maintaining proper hemostasis. And increased production of fibrinolysis inhibitors has been found in solid tumors. The second factor is release of inflammatory cytokines by tumor cells which then activate monocytes, which increase tissue factor and also stimulate endothelial cells to produce more fibrinolysis inhibitors, as well as upregulate endothelial cell surface tissue factor expression. And the third factor um, is tumor cells can directly stick to the endothelium via different, uh, different pathways of adhesion molecules expressed by the tumor cells that then activate the clotting cascade. These tumor cells will also release factors that can increase platelet activation and aggregation. <clears throat> so
So chemotherapy is well known to increase risk for DBT based on many studies dating back to the 1980s when patients treated for metastatic breast cancer with multiple chemotherapy drugs had a significantly higher risk of developing clots compared to those who didn't receive chemotherapy. The exact mechanisms are still not clearly defined, but some studies suggest drugs like cisplatin, which are used to treat our um, lung cancer and head and neck cancer patients, amongst many other types of cancers. It causes vascular injury through apoptosis, which results in the release of endothelial microparticles and tissue factor, thus turning on the coagulation cascade. There's some data to, su to suggest that drugs like fluorouracil used in, uh, to treat gastroesophageal and colorectal cancers can cause endothelial cell damage and also deplete the production of our body's own natural um, anticoagulants, such as protein C, protein S, and antithrombin. And finally, studies have shown that <clears throat> vascular endothelial growth factor inhibitors, um, also called VEGF inhibitors, like bevacizumab, um, they're associated with an increased risk of thrombosis. When the endothelium is depleted of VEGF, it becomes activated, and procoagulant molecules like tissue factor and von Willebrand's factor are upregulated. And studies have also shown that when uh, the thrombus resolves, the VEGF levels will then increase. So switching gears to epidemiology, uh, roughly half a million uh, people in the U.S. will develop blood clots every year, and um, about a fifth die from complications. We know that cancer patients have about a sevenfold increased risk for VTE compared with the general population without cancer. We know VTE is a very common complication of malignancy and is one of the leading causes of death in cancer patients. The risk for VTE in cancer patients is highest in the first three to six months after the initial diagnosis of cancer. In terms of the financial impact of VTE, we do not know that due to the lack of studies. So we know VTE is one of the leading causes of death in our cancer population. In a prospective observational study by Dr. Karana and his group, um, they looked at the leading causes of death in over 4,000 cancer patients receiving chemotherapy. And the number one cause of death was progression of cancer at over 70%. And thrombosis was tied for the second leading cause of death um, along with infections. So we know that the impact um, is immense. Looking at um, the risk factors for VTE, um, this table is looking at the odds ratios um, in a study of over 600 patients um, showing the risks associated with various conditions. And active cancer was associated with a fourfold increased uh, risk of thrombus. Uh, with chemotherapy, it rises to almost sevenfold. And this risk sits behind surgery, trauma, heart failure, and inpatient hospitalization. So this table breaks down uh, the incidence of VTE based on the type of cancer, and this study looked at the one-year incidence of uh, VTE in cancer patients in California over a six-year period, and the cancers associated with the highest incidence were pancreas cancer, um, brain, gastroesophageal, and ovarian cancers. The cancers with the lowest incidence were melanoma, breast, prostate, and uterine cancers.
The same study also looked at the one-year incidence of VTE based on stage. So on the far left um, column, you can see that there's local stage followed by regional stage and metastatic stage. We see the incidence is very low in the local stage, um, but then rises significantly um, when you get to the advanced disease stages. So for example, when you see um, the five-fold increase in increased risk in pancreatic cancer at the top um, in patients with metastatic stage compared to local stage. And this effect can, you can also see is especially pronounced in bladder, um, uterine cancers, and also melanoma. <laughs> So cancer patients diagnosed with VTE um, have a four to eight-fold higher risk of death compared to those without cancer. And so this study um, looked at survival data. Um, it's from a large population-based Danish study from 2000. <clears throat> they looked at over 7,000 cancer patients with and without VTE matched for type of cancer, age, sex, and year of diagnosis, and looked at their one-year survival. The group with the cancer who was diagnosed with the VTE, at the, that's the bottom curve, they had a statistically significant one-year survival rate of 12% compared with those without VTE at 36%. So knowing the impact of VTE in our cancer population, um, studies were done looking at clinical tools that we could use to predict which cancer patients will be at the highest risk for VTE. And with this information, um, the ultimate goal would be to predict who would benefit the most um, from prevention of blood clots using anticoagulation or thromboprophylaxis. So in 2008, Dr. Karana uh, and his group um, published a paper that came up with a really easy to use risk model that can be, um, that can predict which of their patients who are receiving chemotherapy would be at highest risk for developing VTE based on five variables. And so these five variables, which are measured at one point in time before the start of chemotherapy, they were all independently associated with risk for VTE. This table shows the odds ratio um, adjusted for stage. And so the first variable is primary site of cancer. Um, as you can see, the very um, high-risk sites, such as uh, gastric cancer and pancreas cancer, um, they had a four-fold increased risk compared to the low-risk cancers of breast and colorectal. The remaining variables um, had about a two to two-fold, uh, 2.5-fold increased risk. They are pre-chemotherapy platelet count, leukocyte count, hemoglobin, or use of red blood cell growth factors, and BMI of 35 or more. So points were then assigned to each variable, and three risk groups were created. There was a low risk group um, if they scored zero points, and their risk for VTE was less than 1%. There was the intermediate risk group that they created if they scored one to two points. Their risk was about 2%. And finally, you had the high risk group. Um, if they scored a three or higher, their risk was about 7%. So this model was validated in an independent cohort of patients for the same observational study, and the rates of VTE over a period of uh, two and a half months were similar across both cohorts and across all risk groups. So since this study was reported, um, there have been multiple prospective and retrospective studies that have been able to validate this tool.
So another way to categorize um, risk for VTEs through biomarkers. So we know that D-dimer is one of the most widely studied. It's the breakdown product of cross-linked fibrin clots, um, reflecting ongoing activation of the hemostasis and thrombolytic system. Um, it's useful to help rule out VTE if your cancer, um, if your suspicion is low, but it's increased in many different situations. So um, it's not of great use to predict VTE risk. Other, investi other investigational biomarkers include tissue factor, soluble P-selectin, prothrombin fragment, and thrombin generation. So thrombin generation has been uh, uh, looked at in the recent years, and um, the reasoning behind this is that um, uh, thrombin plays a critical role in the uh, clotting cascade and is responsible for the final conversion of fibrinogen to the fibrin clot. And it's directly and indirectly influencing multiple pathways in this cascade, so that's why it's viewed as a good representation of the overall risk for thrombosis. Uh, studies have shown that um, increased thrombin generation um, could predict VTE risk, but this was in patients without cancer. So this brings us to the Vienna Cancer and Thrombosis Study, or CATS, and this was the first to apply thrombin generation um, in the cancer population. So it was, a, it was a prospective observational study of patients with newly diagnosed cancers or cancers that had progressed. Um, it included over 1,000 patients with more than 10 different types of cancers. And they measured the peak thrombin generation and found the cumulative probability of getting a VT after six months was about 11% in those with elevated peak thrombin generation, um, as seen as in the top blue line. Um, it was about 4% in those with lower peak thrombin. This difference was statistically significant. However, there's still a lack of consistent data to support routine extended thromboprophylaxis in our ambulatory cancer outpatient um, population. Um, and so the best way to risk stratify these patients is still not clear. The corona score is helpful, but it only identifies risk at one point in time at the start of, of treatment. So there, there have been several trials looking at this issue. Um, one of them was a SAVE Onco trial, um, a double-blinded, placebo-controlled trial of 3,200 patients that looked at locally advanced or metastatic cancers who were receiving chemotherapy. And they were randomized to either a low molecular weight heparin or a placebo. And at a median duration of three, three and a half months, the patients who received the anticoagulant had a 1.2% um, incidence of VTE compared to 3% in the placebo arm. So there are trials sh showing some benefit of prophylactic anticoagulation, but again, better risk stratification is needed. We do know of one specific um, cancer population with receiving a particular regimen of drugs that the NCCN has recommended extended outpatient uh, thromboprophylaxis. So this is the current NCCN guideline, and for multiple myeloma patients receiving anti-angiogenesis drugs such as lenalidomide and pomalidomide, when used in combination with the steroid dexamethasone, it has shown to have high rates of VTE. Various studies have reported uh, rates from 12% to as high as 26%. So for this specific patient population uh, receiving um, Aspirin or warfarin is recommended.
So there are the newer, also the newer direct oral anticoagulants, um, such as those at block factor 10 that are being studied right now. Our department is looking at, um, or is involved in the Cassini trial, looking at the efficacy of factor 10 inhibitor rivaraxaban in cancer patients starting systemic therapy who had a Corona score of two or higher. So to summarize thus far, um, we know about the impact of BTE in our cancer population and its effects on survival. Our goal is to risk stratify patients with a validated tool to best predict who is at highest risk for BTE so they would benefit from thromboprophylaxis. Limitations of the Corona score is that it only measures uh, risk at one point in time. Thromba generation is promising, um, but uh, it, its limitation is it was based on a heterogeneous um, cancer population and that involved 10 different cancer types, and peak thrombin generation was also measured only at one point in time at enrollment. So this is the basis of our study. So <clears throat> the study is looking to address three questions. Can we correlate peak thrombin generation with a validated tool uh, to predict VTE risk at the start of treatment? We want to know how cancer therapy impacts peak thrombin generation and risk for developing VTE over time. And we also want to know what the incidence of VTE was within six months of starting treatment. So this was our inclusion and exclusion criteria. We wanted a more homogeneous um, population, so we looked at only pancreas or lung cancer patients. Um, and we also wanted to make sure their histology um, was the same, so they were only adenocarcinoma. These are all newly diagnosed, um, and their stage was locally advanced or metastatic. They were receiving chemotherapy or targeted therapy. Exclusion criteria was history of active VTE, on anticoagulant medications 30 days prior to enrollment. So this is our study design. We collected blood samples at three different time points, and we first calculated the Corona score at the initiation of treatment. We followed these patients over time and would draw samples every three to four weeks, and that would depend on the type of chemotherapy they would receive. So for example, a combination of drugs called um, Fulfox um, or Fulfirinox, commonly used in pancreas cancer patients. Um, this is given every two weeks, so we would draw samples every two treatments. Our goal was to enroll 40 patients, 20 in the lung cancer group and 20 in the pancreas cancer group. And then we would follow these patients for six months to determine uh, VTE incidence. Our coagulation lab uh, measured thrombin generation using the calibrated uh, automated thrombogram assay, which uh, describes the concentration of thrombin in clotting plasma and is therefore uh, a general physiologic function test of the entire um, thrombotic um, hemostatic system. This is an example of a thrombin generation curve that, that's generated. Um, you see um, at the peak, you can measure thrombin level. And you can also measure ETP, um, or, or endogenous thrombin potential. And this is the area under the curve which measures the amount of thrombin produced after in vitro activation of coagulation with tissue factor. So 
So this is preliminary data that um, I'm showing. So the number of subjects um, we have enrolled is uh, still low. Um, we had six lung cancer patients and nine in the pancreas group. <clears throat> the majority of patients had metastatic disease. There was one from each group that had locally advanced disease. Two out of the 15 patients were obese who had a BM with a BMI of 30 or higher. Most were former or current smokers. And for the type of therapy they were receiving, um, all the pancreas patients received chemotherapy and half of the lung cancer patients were receiving targeted therapy. So we looked at the correlation between mean peak thrombin generation and the Corona score. And the higher the Corona score, the higher the peak thrombin level um, was. That was one observation that you can see. But again, this is based off of limited data. Um, there was only one patient that had um, a Corona score of one, and there was only one patient that we had that had a Corona score of four. Um, looking at the patients who did end up having VTEs, there were four of them. Um, there were th three out of those four did have a Corona score of two, which was the which is, if you remember, this is the intermediate risk group. Only one patient um, with a VTE had a Corona score of four, which is the high risk group. Here we're looking at the mean uh, endogenous thrombin potential and Corona score. So we do see that um, with the Corona score increasing, there is a higher ETP. But again, uh, there is this is limited data, um, and there's only one patient who had a score of four. Um, it will be interesting to see um, once we um, recruit more patients who have a score of four if the mean ETP will um, go up. So this is a chart looking at the incidence of VTE um, and broken down by Corona score, um, mean peak thrombin generation, and mean ETP at the start of therapy. So 25% of our cohort had a VTE, all had pancreas cancer, and um, interestingly that percentage is roughly in line with the previous estimates of VTE incidence in pancreas cancer patients that was studied in a much larger cohort. The median Corona score uh, of two uh, for those patients who were diagnosed with the VTE is the same as those who didn't have a VTE. The mean peak thrombin generation between the two groups was similar, but the mean ETP uh, was higher in the patients who had uh, VTE. In regards to all-cause mortality, two out of the four patients diagnosed with VTE had died, and two out of the 12 patients without the VTE had died. It's not clear uh, what the exact cause of death was, but it appears um, uh, likely progression of cancer for those patients. Specifically looking at the VTE uh, cancer diagno diagnosis in pancreas, in pancreas uh, cancer patients, um, it's not surprising given the high risk of uh, VTE in pancreas cancer and three out of the four patients were diagnosed within two months of starting treatment. So when looking at the effects of therapy on thrombin generation and ETP um, at each time point, 
um, we do see uh, a clear decline over time. Um, I did find that when these patients um, had their initial restaging scans, um, the overwhelming majority of the patients had either responded to treatment um, or had stable disease. Um, it would be interesting to see, um, to look at patients who didn't respond to treatment um, if the reverse trend is true. Limitations to this study, um, of course, is small sample size. Um, we've only recruited 16 patients so far uh, with a goal of 40 still. And the second limitation uh, was some of these patients had blood drawn through Metaport catheters um, that are used to administer chemotherapy. And um, these ports um, can be flushed with heparin, so that can lower your thrombin generation. Improvements to the study uh, is, of course, to recruit more patients um, to improve our, the power of the study. Um, from now on, samples will no longer be collected um, through the Metaport, and they'll just be collected through peripheral veins. And we can also check an anti-factor 10A level on samples to um, rule out heparin as a confounder. So in conclusion, uh, we know that VTE is one of the leading causes of death in cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy. Routine thromboprophylaxis of VTE in cancer patients in the ambulatory setting receiving chemotherapy is not yet recommended because of the lack of a validated tool to stratify patients with the highest risk. The goal of the study was to see if the Corona score, when used with a biomarker like peak thrombin generation, could assess VTE risk at the start of systemic therapy in newly diagnosed pancreas and lung cancer patients. Although this is preliminary data, uh, the number of patients enrolled so far is low, we do see that the higher the Corona score, the peak thrombin generation was also higher. About a quarter, a quarter of the patients were diagnosed with VTE, um, and three out of those four were diagnosed within six months of starting treatment. Interestingly, the median Corona score for those patients was two, which stratifies them into the intermediate risk group. However, by enrolling more patients and changing our blood sample um, collection methods, we hope to increase the power of the study and see a potentially stronger correlation. Investigation on how to best maximize thromboprophylaxis in our cancer population undergoing systemic therapy is still ongoing as um, with the Cassini trial that we're involved in. So the study was supported by a grant from NICOS. And special thanks to Dr. Drescher, Dr. Ornstein, and everybody in the coagulation lab um, who helped out, um, uh, Julie, our research coordinator, and all the attending physicians who helped me recruit patients. Any questions? Michael? When should we bring up the topic of prophylaxis? Any old pancreatic cancer patient do you discuss? Topical prophylaxis? Topical prophylaxis. I saw, like, you know, 7% or 10% risk of BPD, or if you use score, it could be close to like 20%, right? Right. Um, I mean, based on my experience, it's just, it's never been something that we bring up with patients, and maybe it's something that we should be doing more so. Um, because the risk is high in certain in patients with metastatic disease. Um, there have been trials that show bleeding risk um, is not significantly more increased when, when we use those anticoagulants. 
Um, so maybe it's just an issue once we have a better validated score to predict risk, um, it's something that more doctors will pick up and maybe start implementing into their practice. Yeah, I think about enrolling on the, on the CD trial. That's right, yeah. yeah. It's just Quran score about two. It almost could be so with every time into the trial. It's open and I'm still looking for my patients. And then medicine will be free? Uh, yes, it's a rivaroxaban randomized to placebo. The drug is free of cost, and, but it may require patients to get a more doctor study to go about EDT. There are quite some interpretations that the drug will be free of that's solid tumor, right? It's um, solid tumor, yes. And actually lymphoma as well, except multiple myeloma because multiple myeloma already have good uh, recommendation. Yes. On the slide where you showed the thrombin generation was decreasing with treatment, do you think, is there any other mechanism, or have you thought about other mechanisms that could be doing that, like the treatment itself, or is it, is it really a sign of response or not? Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that. I wasn't sure. <clears throat> I mean, I guess one possible explanation is all, almost all the patients had responded to treatment. Um, and so I guess if you're decreasing tumor burden, um, your thrombin generation will be lower over time. Um, but um, on the flip side, we know chemotherapy can also increase risk, um, uh, increase thrombin generation. So um, yeah, I don't really know why you see this association. Um, Are you going to continue the study for a while? Or yeah, so one of the new fellows is picking up uh, the study So um, after I graduate. Hmm. Who's going to take over? Ronke? Is she? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How has enrollment been? How long has it taken you to get those first um, I think roughly a year or maybe a little bit longer than that. Yeah. Can you tell what the challenge you have like over the year? Um, it's sometimes just um, finding the patients, the, the newly diagnosed metastatic pancreas and lung cancer patients. I think um, one way we could uh, fix that is maybe we could um, ask the secretaries to alert us if there's any new, anyone newly diagnosed had metastatic pancreas or lung cancer. Um, that could be one way we could do it, um, just to get them from before they even come into the door. <laughs> yeah. I think there were a few that died even before you. Right, yeah, right. And that, right, there were several that, that died or didn't receive treatment or they get treatments elsewhere, so. Are you thinking of opening it in California? <laughs> <laughs> I can use some help, uh, but yeah, sure. <laughs> well, thank All right, you. thank you. Okay.